Hello everyone, and welcome to Inglewood Public Library's First Chapter Fridays. Today, I'll be reading Discovering the Inner Mother, A Guide to Healing the Mother Wound and Claiming Your Personal Power by Bethany Webster. The book was published by William Morrow Publishers on January 5th, 2021. The Mother Wound is a concept that Bethany Webster first popularized in a 2013 essay titled Why It's Crucial for Women to Heal the Mother Wound. That essay represented 15 years of independent work on the topic, and this book, if it is an extension of that essay, represents about 23 years of labor and research. Chapter 1. What is the Mother Wound? We were in a middle-class family in New England. My parents had stable jobs, and we lived in a nice neighborhood. I had a roof over my head, food on the table, and summer vacations. I received new school clothes and was thrown graduation parties. But, as well-intentioned as my parents were, to me, our home felt like an emotional war zone with me at the center. My parents married young and, I believe, unconsciously replayed the dysfunctional patterns they had been subjected to growing up within their own families. I was as young as six when my mother told me I was her best friend, and that she loved me more than anyone else. Around the same time, I noticed that my father had begun to stay out late drinking at bars. I would confront my mother as she cried and join her in being mad at my father when he would finally come home. I was her ally, her warrior, and, in an emotional context, her surrogate, spouse. I sensed that my safety depended upon providing her with emotional support. When my dad was out late, we'd watch TV in her bed and talk. Her reliance on me made me feel needed and important, but I also felt imprisoned by her pain. I held out hope that one day my needs would be met too. As the years passed, I increasingly played family mediator, yelling at my dad on behalf of my mom, cushioning my dad from my mother's rage stepping in to protect my brother when my father was violent. I was the family sponge for unwanted feelings, the shock absorber for crises, the problem solver, the emotional dumping ground. As a result, I continuously buried my needs, observations, feelings, and authentic responses deep within, sacrificing myself while over-functioning for the family system. I was calm on the outside, but privately hypervigilant for impending catastrophes. Around age seven, my repeating dreams were of finding a real baby, a baby who was mine and whom I could care for. I longed to be a real girl, not a doll, not an object, but a real girl deserving of emotional care and sustained loving attention from a healthy adult. From elementary school through middle school, I developed a deep devotion to the Virgin Mary. My parents were not religious, so my devotion felt like my own special world apart from them a lifeline amid the chaos. I would stay over at my great-grandmother's house on occasions, and she taught me how to pray. I was ten when she died, and I was given all her religious paraphernalia, statues, prayer cards, rosary beads, and books. I created an altar in my room and used to pray that Mary would appear to me on my walk home from school or in my backyard, as she did to the children in Fatima. I would do good deeds secretly, like helping other students at school 
you're being generous with my brother, and offer them to her. I would try to go entire days without committing a sin. At 11 years old, I remember the silence of the house on a late afternoon when no one else was home. I pulled a large serrated knife out of a drawer in the kitchen and lifted up my shirt. I put the tip of the knife to the center of my chest and closed my eyes. I thought, this would make everything better. Everyone would be happier without me. With me erased, I felt their pain, and my pain would be finished. Ultimately, I was too scared to go through with it. Looking back, I can see how clearly I had perceived my existence as the problem due to how dismissively I felt I was treated throughout my childhood. All the way through college, I remained the good girl while feeling stalked by my mother's needs, which began to feel like an ominous shadow always at my back. From as early as I can remember, she would confide in me about various situations that were troubling her, whether that involved her dysfunctional relationship with my dad or something she was dealing with at work. As I got older, she seemed to expect me to be her sounding board. And with time, my resentment and anger grew about what I perceived as an imbalance in the relationship, which required my needs to be invisible. She appeared to expect me to relieve her from her worries. Often, a mention of my own troubles would seem to cause her to withdraw or be outright hostile. My role as emotional servant seemed to function as a lid on her rage. I felt I could not deviate from this role without some degree of punishment. When I was successful as a student or in the arts, her pride in me always laced with the sharp, unspoken demands of, don't leave me, don't surpass me, don't threaten me. I could acutely sense what felt like a ravenous abyss that she revealed only to me, which seemed to be kept at bay only by my staying inside of the lines of what I perceived as her expectations, that I be her pet, her personal cheerleader, and her best friend. When I expressed opinions that contrasted with her, set boundaries, demonstrated a moment of confidence, or exerted my independence from her, she treated it as a betrayal. She would respond with a harsh takedown, an exasperated huff, or a swift dismissal of what I had said. Sometimes her response was just an angry, incredulous look, as though my capacity to express a separate reality to hers was causing her an abrupt physical pain. I had recurring dreams of being a prisoner, with my mother as my prison guard, making me sit and watch her eat food as I stood by starving. In college, I was adrift. I was beginning to live my mother's life, finding myself in relationships similar to the ones she had with my father, and on the same career path, training to be a school teacher. I felt increasingly lost, depressed, and empty, and was less able to hide it. My own pain began to emerge, but I had no model for self-care. At 19, when I became unexpectedly pregnant, I had to stop and reevaluate who I was and who I wanted to be. I remember the day I was in a health food store and went to the bulletin board looking at the flyers and business cards, quietly searching for information on local therapists. My eyes landed on a card that had a symbol of the goddess on it. I called the number on the card. I went to my first therapy session a week after my abortion. I embarked on what was to become 22 plus years of in-depth intensive, comprehensive, relationally based developmental trauma therapy. This therapy has continued regularly through all these years, up until the present day, and continues to be a lifeline on my journey. 
compared to a conventional therapy, which typically includes a short-term relief of symptoms, a short duration of therapy, with a focus on quick results, and a top-down approach. My therapist, Nicole, offered an intensive trauma-based therapy focused on a deeply reparative relational process that has helped me profoundly change my wounded internal landscape, healing my inner child parts, and grow the capacity to mother myself. The heart of my work with Nicole has been the formation of a corrective, secure, and healing primary attachment bond, based on a variety of theories and practices from many other schools of psychotherapy. The therapy style has been collaborative, with a high level of respect for my individuality, a deep empathic attunement and regard for me, even in moments of hostile countertransference that arose from unconsciously projecting my mother wound onto Nicole. In short, because I had consistently received precisely the opposite of what I had experienced in my family for so many years, I was able to rework my mother wound to a profound degree, culminating in a capacity to support other women in their healing journeys as well. After the abortion, I took a semester off and decided to change my major from education to psychology. I applied to graduate school and moved back in with my parents, continuing to support myself by waiting tables. All this time, I intentionally approached my relationship with my parents in a way that has been measured and civil. By the time I had earned my master's in psychology and been accepted into a doctoral program, I'd fallen in love with David, a co-worker and longtime acquaintance, whose sister-in-law was looking for tenants for her apartment in Manhattan. I chose not to pursue a PhD and instead moved with David to New York City, eventually getting a job as a writer-editor at an Ivy League medical school. I'll never forget riding in the U-Haul as David drove down I-95 South to Hell's Kitchen on that gray September morning and opened a greeting card for my mother that read, I love you like no other. I abruptly put the card in my purse, took a deep breath, and felt happy to have my own home ahead of me. At this point, I navigated the relationship with my mother through calculated distance to maintain a baseline level of superficial harmony. Even after years in therapy, it wasn't until I'd had some time and physical distance from my mother that I had really began to feel the magnitude of her impact on me. Around this time, I discovered a deep pool of rage and enormous grief over how my mother had treated me and how my father had failed to protect me. In consciously exploring my deepest levels of pain in a psychologically skillful, deeply attuned, and corrective therapeutic relationship, I slowly, almost imperceptibly in moments, began to form a new sense of self, feeling increasingly solid ground forming within me. Bit by bit, session by session, year after year, I experienced the joy and relief of becoming free. This was a slow, arduous, and liberating process. Difficulty and challenges between mothers and daughters are rampant and widespread, but not openly spoken about. It's generally considered taboo to acknowledge and discuss painful dynamics with our mothers. This silence about the truth of mother-daughter relationships is part of what keeps the mother wound in place, keeping it hidden in shadow, festering, and out of view. In recent years, women are now increasingly willing to break our silence in order to share our truth, heal, and break the cycle for future generations. A crucial step for the healing and empowerment of women as a whole. Let's dive now into defining exactly what the mother wound is and how it manifests in our lives. The mother wound, a social condition rooted in patriarchy, exists on four levels. Personal, cultural, spiritual, and planetary. Personal mother wound. 
a set of internalized limiting beliefs and patterns that originates from the early dynamics with our mothers that causes problems in many areas of our adult lives, impacting how we see ourselves, one another, and our potential. The Cultural Mother Wound The systemic devaluation of women in most aspects of patriarchal cultures, rooted in colonization, that have come to dominate much of the world and the dysfunctional imbalance in the world as a result. The spiritual mother wound. The feeling of being disconnected and alienated from a higher power in life itself. The planetary mother wound. The harm caused to the earth, e.g. deforestation, mass extinction of species, climate crisis, etc., that is threatening life on this planet. It all starts on the personal level. As we heal the personal level of the mother wound, we increase our connection to ourselves, to each other, and to the earth. The mother wound is healed at the level of one's daughterhood. Not every woman is a mother, but all women are daughters. Healing the mother wound is not about pitting mothers and daughters against each other. Rather, it's about women collectively stepping into their power. The best thing that a mother can do for their daughter is to commit to healing her own mother wound. Through this healing process, she will expand her capacity for self-empathy and thus her empathy and emotional availability for her daughter. Their relationship can then shift from that of either or, only one of us can be fully lovable and fully powerful, to one with abundant space for both mother and daughter to each be equally loved and powerful. There is space for belonging as well as space to be a separate individual for both the mother and daughter. This process breaks the enmeshment or merging that patriarchal cultures foster in the mother-daughter relationship and opens up new possibilities and expressions for authentic connection. It is not necessary to be in a relationship with your mother to heal your mother wound. Because the mother wound is within ourselves, we can heal even if our mothers are absent, deceased, or refuse to engage with us in a healthy way. For some women, healing the mother wound will bring them closer to their mothers, and for others, it will create more distance. One cannot know at the outset which way it will go, but in either case, the healing and empowerment of the daughter is the primary result. This requires us to have faith that whatever the outcome, we will develop a healthier and more solid connection with ourselves, which is essential for our ability to thrive. The cost of avoiding the mother wound. The mother wound keeps women separated from themselves, from one another, and from their true empowerment. Our collective trauma has been allowed to fester unimpeded through generations distorting the mother-daughter relationship into a power struggle that is impossible to win. The cost of avoiding the mother wound is simply too great. It ensures that the disowned pain of the mother wound will continue to be passed down to future generations. The cost to our personal lives means living our lives indefinitely with a vague, persistent sense that there's something wrong with me, never actualizing our potential out of fear of failure or disapproval, having weak boundaries and an unclear sense of self, not feeling worthy or capable of creating what we truly desire, not feeling safe enough to take up space and voice our truth, arranging our lives around not rocking the boat, self-sabotaging when we get close to a breakthrough, unconsciously waiting for our mother's permission or approval before claiming our own lives. The cost to society and the world is that generations of women keep themselves small, so as not to offend, are compelled to blame themselves, and bypass the chance to fulfill their potential. Thus, the genius, power, love, and gifts of countless women are lost to the world. This is a tragedy we cannot allow to continue. 
the cost to the Earth is best summed up by Eckhart Tolle. The pollution of the planet is only an outward reflection of an inner psychic pollution. Millions of unconscious individuals not taking responsibility for their inner space. What we gain by healing the mother wound. Until we get to the root of the causes of our inner suffering, which are the foundational patterns put in place in the earliest days of our lives, and mourn the situations that caused us to internalize them, the personal development or spiritual work we can do can only reach a superficial level at best. Many of the surface issues that continue to play out in our everyday lives, including struggles in our relationships, careers, and health, all point back to a common core, the pain related to our mothers and the belief about ourselves that originated from that primary relationship. I believe healing the mother wound is the most important thing a woman can focus on because of the incredible potential that lies on the other side of it and the magnitude of transformation possible through healing it. No other relationship has the power to limit us or liberate us as our relationship with our mother does. Benefits of healing the mother wound include being more fluent and skilled in handling our emotions, seeing them as a source of wisdom and information, having healthy boundaries that support self-actualization, developing a solid inner mother that provides unconditional love, support, and comfort, knowing ourselves as competent, feeling that anything is possible, and being open to miracles and all good things. Being in constant contact with our inner goodness and our ability to bring it into everything we do. Having deep compassion for ourselves and other people. Not taking ourselves too seriously. Not needing external validation to feel okay. Trusting life to bring us what we need in every moment. Feeling safe in our own skin and feeling the freedom to be ourselves. Seeing ourselves and our mothers accurately, not taking our mother's limitations personally. Arriving at gratitude for what our mothers could give us, and compassion and acceptance for what they could not give us. Anger, shame, and guilt. The mother wound exists because there is not a safe place for mothers to process their rage about the sacrifices society has demanded of them. In an essay published in Teen Vogue called most women you know are angry, and that's all right. Lori Penny writes, Female anger is taboo, and with good reason. If we ever spoke about it directly, in numbers too big to dismiss, one or two things might have to change. How many times have men in power, including Donald Trump, tried to push back and put down women who criticize them by applying that our opinions are nothing more than a mess of dirty, bloody hormones, none of it rational, none of it real? These jokes are never just jokes. They're a control strategy. The patriarchy is so scared of women's anger that eventually we learn to fear it too. Many adult daughters still unconsciously fear rejection for choosing not to make the same sacrifices as previous generations did. And this fear often comes out unconsciously to one's own children. A young daughter is a potent target for a mother's rage because the daughter has not yet had to give up her personhood for motherhood. The young daughter may remind her mother of her own unlived potential. And if the daughter feels worthy enough to reject some of the patriarchal mandates her mother has had to swallow, then she can easily trigger that underground rage for the mother. Healing the mother wound is not about blaming your mother. Mother blame is avoiding responsibility, and healing the mother wound is a form of taking personal responsibility. 
Mother blame is characterized by complacency and a sense of victimhood, hiding from our own power and responsibility, projecting unprocessed anger onto others, avoiding underlying grief about our childhood. Healing the mother wound involves examining the mother-daughter relationship with the intention to gain clarity and insight in order to create positive change in our lives, transforming limiting beliefs we've inherited with the intention of adopting new beliefs that fully support our self-actualization, taking responsibility for our own paths by becoming self-conscious of our previously unconscious patterns and making new choices that reflect our true desires. There's a lot of talk these days about feminism and being an awakened, conscious woman, but the reality is that we cannot be truly empowered if we have not yet addressed within us the very places that have felt banished and in exile from the feminine. Our first and most formative encounter with female power was with our mothers. Until we have the courage to break the taboo and face the pain we have experienced in relation to our mothers, images of female power are another form of fairy tale, a fantasy of rescue by a mother who isn't coming, waiting for a savior who keeps us, to some degree, in immaturity. We have to separate the human mother from the archetypal mother in order to be true carriers of conscious female power. We have to deconstruct the patriarchal lies, distortions, and faulty structures within us before we can truly build a new foundation within ourselves to hold this energy. Until we do this, we remain stuck in a kind of limbo where our empowerment is short-lived and the only explanation that seems to make sense is to blame ourselves. Patriarchy as the root cause of the mother wound. Patriarchy gives rise to the mother wound. In male-dominated cultures, women are conditioned to think themselves as less than, not deserving or worthy. This feeling of less than has been internalized and passed down through countless generations of women. The corrosive principles of patriarchy that give rise to the mother wound include prioritizing men over women, domination, holding power over, normalizing the suppression of feelings, viewing the expression of feelings as inherently weak or bad, feeling shame for having needs, feeling shame for resting or slowing down, needing to produce to feel valued, violation of boundaries, sense of scarcity in money, time, love, energy, feelings of isolation and disconnection, objectification, not seeing people as people, obedience and compliance are demanded, viewing violence as powerful, admiring a lack of empathy, romanticizing slash eroticizing the dynamics of domination and submission, looking down upon whatever is perceived as feminine, considering men as the default human being, holding the racist belief that white is right, holding the belief that heterosexuality is the norm and ideal, motherhood in the mother wound. Historically, patriarchal cultures have not only treated motherhood as a mandate for women, they've also made it oppressive, holding mothers to unreasonable standards, such as requiring them to relinquish personal ambitions to care for their families, deplete themselves to support their families and raise children, be the primary caretakers of the household, constantly serve others and others' needs while not attending to their own, handle everything with ease 100% of the time, have well-behaved children, and maintain a high standard of beauty, a sex drive, a successful career, and a solid marriage. Our society's unspoken messages to mothers include, if motherhood is difficult, then it's your own fault. Shame on you if you're not superhuman. 
there are natural mothers, for whom motherhood is easy. If you are not one of these, there is something deeply wrong with you. As a result of these limiting beliefs and superhuman standards, women forego their dreams, bottle up their desires, and suppress their needs in favor of meeting the cultural ideal of what womanhood should be. This pressure is suffocating for most women, engendering rage, depression, anxiety, and overall emotional pain, which, when not addressed, as is often the case in patriarchal cultures, is then unconsciously passed on to daughters through subtle or even aggressive forms of emotional abandonment. Mothers can't be emotionally present when stressed. Manipulation, shame, guilt, and obligation, or rejection. Children interpret these moments of maternal abandonment, rejection, or manipulation as, there is something wrong with me. I'm responsible for my mother's pain, or I can make my mother happy if I'm a good girl. This makes sense when one considers the limited cognitive development of a child who sees herself as the cause of all things. Left unaddressed, these unconscious and untrue beliefs at the very core of the mother wound can negatively affect every area of our lives. For mothers who have indeed sacrificed so much to have children in our culture, it can truly feel like a rejection when your daughter surpasses or exceeds the dreams you thought possible for yourself. There may be a sense of feeling owed, or entitled to, or needing to be validated by your children, which can be very subtle but powerful manipulation. This dynamic can cause the next generation of daughters to keep themselves small so that their mothers can continue to feel validated and affirmed in their identities as mother, an identity that many have sacrificed so much for, but receive so little support in and recognition for in return. Mothers may unconsciously project deep rage toward their children in subtle ways. However, this rage isn't really towards the children. The rage is towards the patriarchal culture that requires women to sacrifice and utterly deplete themselves in order to mother a child. For a child who needs her mother, sacrificing herself in an effort to somehow ease her mother's pain is often a subconscious decision made very early in life and usually not discovered as the case of underlying issues until much later, when the daughter herself is an adult. Much of this goes underground because of the many taboos and stereotypes about motherhood in our culture which say, mothers are always nurturing and loving. Mothers should never feel angry or resentful towards their daughters. Mothers and daughters are supposed to be best friends. While the generational stereotypes have changed across the decades, the underlying message of unrelenting criticism has been the same in the 50s, mothers were too put together. In the 70s, mothers were too lax. In the 80s, too ambitious. In the 90s, it was all about the participation trophies. In the thousands, it was the tiger moms. The stereotype of all mothers should be loving all the time strips women of their full humanity. Because women are not given permission to be full human beings, society feels justified in not providing full respect, support, and resources to mothers. The truth is that mothers are human beings, and all mothers have unloving moments. And it's true that there are mothers who are simply unloving most of the time, whether because of addiction or mental illness or some other struggle. Until we are willing to face these uncomfortable realities, the mother wound will remain in shadow and continue to be passed down through the generations. Of course, most mothers want what is best for their daughters. However, if a mother has not dealt with her own pain or come to terms with the sacrifices she has had to make, then her support for her daughter may be laced with messages that subtly instill shame, guilt, or obligation. These messages can seep into the most benign of situations, usually in some form of criticism, 
or of bringing praise back to the mother. It's not usually the content of the statement, but rather the energy with which it is conveyed that can carry hidden resentment. Patriarchal cultures not only distort the mother-daughter relationship into this power dynamic, they also put daughters in a double bind. If a daughter internalizes her mother's unconscious beliefs, some form of, I'm not good enough, then she will have her mother's approval, but she will also have betrayed herself and her own potential. However, if the daughter doesn't internalize her mother's unconscious beliefs as her own limitations, but rather affirms her own power and potential, she is aware that her mother may unconsciously see this as a personal rejection. The daughter doesn't want to risk losing her mother's love and approval, so internalizing these limiting, unconscious beliefs is a form of loyalty and emotional survival. It may feel dangerous for the daughter to actualize her full potential because this may mean risking some form of rejection by her mother. The daughter may unconsciously sense that her full empowerment may trigger her mother's sadness or rage at having had to give up parts of herself in her own life. Her compassion for her mother, a desire to please her, and a fear of conflict may cause her to convince herself that it's easier to shrink and remain small. Hence, daughters grow up in patriarchal cultures having to choose between being empowered and being loved. The mother wound belongs to all women. The mother wound exists on a spectrum, with healthy, supportive mother-daughter relationships on one end and abusive, traumatic mother-daughter relationships on the other end. There are many factors influencing where we fall on the spectrum, such as the extent to which the mother has addressed her own mother wound and whether there was a domestic violence, addiction, or financial hardship in the family. The daughter who has a healthy, loving bond with her mother may not have much of a mother wound on the personal level, but she still must contend with the cultural mother wound. Because patriarchal cultures devalue women and all things feminine, this cultural mother wound affects how she sees her own body, her potential, and her relationships. However, having a solid, loving relationship with our mother, one in which we are valued and celebrated for our individual, separate selves, while still deeply connected with our mother, protects or buffers us from some of the virulent impacts of cultural patriarchal beliefs about women. An author and psychologist, Mario Martinez, has said, Mothers function as significant cultural editors, defining the limits of what is possible through their own beliefs and behaviors, which we, their children, unconsciously internalize as our own as we develop in early life. The limiting messages that we inherit from our mothers have been deeply fused with our deepest human needs for love, safety, and belonging. Letting go of those beliefs that hold us back can feel like letting go of our mother herself. Our task is to decouple those inherited beliefs from our need to love, from our need for love, safety, and belonging, so that we can effectively dispose of them. Because they come from one person that we as daughters must bond with to survive, disempowering beliefs that are passed down through mothers are more damaging than any of the cultural messages combined. The severity of our mother wound depends most powerfully on how harshly our mothers were wounded in relation to their own mothers. In the best of situations, mothers unintentionally project feelings of inferiority and vulnerability in an innocent effort to protect their daughters from potential rejection or shaming. Don't be too big, visible, or powerful. If you are, you'll end up rejected or alone. In the worst of situations, mothers who have deep mother wounds of their own will scapegoat their daughters, projecting their disowned pain onto them and unleashing abuse or neglect with impunity. Unconscious, unacknowledged, and taboo. The unconscious mind is responsible for protecting us from our unprocessed pain. In the introduction to his book, 
before you know it, the unconscious reasons we do what we do. Zhang Barg writes, Once we acquire the right frame for understanding the interplay between the conscious and unconscious operations of our mind, new opportunities open up to us. We can learn to heal wounds, break habits, overcome prejudices, rebuild relationships, and unearth dormant capabilities. He goes on to write that, after decades of research, experiment after experiment has shown that the unconscious isn't an impenetrable wall, but a door that can be opened. My favorite line from this section of the book points out the biggest ramification of such findings. Just think how much more control you can gain by recognizing and taking account of these unconscious influences instead of pretending they don't exist and so allowing them to control you. One of the main cultural messages we receive is that feelings are inherently weak and are to be suppressed. Some emotions are actually labeled negative and are viewed with judgment as weak, unattractive, inconvenient, and bad. At one time or another, we've all experienced negative feelings towards our mother when she did not or could not meet our needs. Despite the fact that numerous studies in the psychology of human development reinforce such feelings as normal, natural, and to be expected, children are shamed for acknowledging negative feelings toward their mothers, which causes these emotions to fester into painful dynamics that affect their self-concept and ability to thrive in the world. In My Mother, Myself, Nancy Friday's classic book on the mother-daughter relationship, Friday observes how our tendency to polarize mothers into either idealization, mothers are to be revered, or denigration, it must be a mother's fault, is, on an individual level, one of our most primitive mechanisms of defense. As daughters, we don't want to be in alliance with a patriarchal culture that perpetuates harm towards our mothers, so we turn away from the opportunity to examine the relationship for insight and healing. We are taught to think of this willful ignorance as beneficial and protective to her and to ourselves. As Friday writes, we will wait for the good mother's return for years, always convinced that the woman before us, who makes us feel guilty, inadequate, and angry, is not mother. Through the cultural mandate that we see all mothers as loving all the time, we may unconsciously avoid any reflection on the pain we may feel in relation to our mothers, for fear of being seen as mother-blaming. If we avoid acknowledging the full impact of our mother's pain on our lives, we still remain to some degree children. Coming into full empowerment requires looking at our relationship with our mothers and having the courage to separate out our individual beliefs, values, and thoughts from hers. It requires feeling the grief of having to witness the pain our mothers endured and processing our own legitimate pain we endured as a result. This is challenging, but it is the birth of real freedom. As we embrace the pain, it can be transformed into self-knowledge, integrity, and increasing self-confidence. As we heal the mother wound, the distorted power dynamic among women is increasingly resolved because women are no longer asking one another to stay small, to ease their own pain. The pain of living in patriarchy ceases to be a taboo topic of conversation. We don't have to pretend or hide behind false masks that bury our pain under a facade of effortlessly holding it together. The pain can then be seen as legitimate, embraced, processed, and integrated, and ultimately transformed into wisdom and power. As women increasingly process the pain of the mother wound, we can create more safe places for women to express the truth of their pain and receive much-needed support. Mothers and daughters can communicate with one another without fear that the truth of their feelings will break the relationship. The pain no longer needs to go underground and into shadow where it manifests as manipulation, competition, and self-hatred. Our pain can be grieved fully so that it can 
then turn into love, a love that manifests as fierce support of one another and deep self-acceptance, freeing us to be boldly authentic, creative, and truly fulfilled. As we heal the mother wound, we begin to grasp the stunning degree of impact a mother's well-being has on the life of her child, especially in the early childhood when the child and mother are still a single unit. Our mothers form the very basis of who we become. Our beliefs start out as her beliefs. Our habits start out as her habits. Some of this is so unconscious and fundamental, it is barely perceptible. We address the mother wound because it is a crucial part of self-actualization and saying yes to being powerful and potent women we are being called to become. Healing the mother wound is ultimately about acknowledging and honoring the foundation our mothers provided for our lives so that we can then fully focus on creating the unique lives we authentically desire and know we are capable of creating. As we engage in this healing process, we slowly remove the thick fog of projection that keeps us stuck so that we can more clearly see, appreciate, and love ourselves. We no longer carry the burden of our mother's pain or keep ourselves small as a result of that pain. We can confidently emerge into our own lives with the energy and vitality to create what we desire without shame or guilt, but with passion, power, joy, and love. The mother wound serves as a veil, creating a sense of disconnection and separation from ourselves, from each other, and from life itself. In the earliest days of our lives, our experience of our mothers was synonymous with life itself. To an infant, mother is food, mother is breath, mother is world, mother is self. Our very experience of ourselves and of the world was filtered through the body and psyche of this person who was our mother. Healing the mother wound is a process of gaining clarity on the predominant dynamics with our mothers that impacted our early development and continue to impact our choices now as adults. It also involves processing the challenging emotions that accompany those dynamics for the purpose of healing and self-discovery. Eventually, we reach a place of insight, wisdom, acceptance, and gratitude. For every human being, the very first wound of the heart was at the sight of the mother, the feminine. And through the process of healing that wound, our hearts graduate from a compromised state of defensiveness and fear to a whole new level of love and power, which connects us to the divine heart of life itself. We are from then on connected to the archetypal, collective heart that lives in all beings, and are carriers and transmitters of true compassion and love that the world needs right now. In this way, healing the mother wound is actually an opportunity to be initiated into our true female power. This is why it's so crucial for women to heal the mother wound. Our personal healing and reconnection to the heart of life by way of the feminine affect the whole and support our collective evolution. Questions for reflection. Number one, in the context of the principles of patriarchy as described on page 13, in what ways do you see patriarchy influencing your life at the moment? How have you been coping with this? Question two. As an extension of patriarchy's devaluation of women, our culture has a wounded relationship with mothers, seeing them as either all loving, all the time, or to be blamed for everything. How did your own mother cope with this? How has this cultural distortion impacted your relationship with your mother? To what degree did you feel you had to carry or absorb your mother's pain as part of of the role of being a good daughter. End 
of chapter one. To continue this book and check out many other wonderful titles, please navigate to library.cityofinglewood.org. This book was performed by Shawn Michael for the Inglewood Public Library.